Peter Williams from One O'Clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Well, one of the great stars of New Zealand journalism in the last year or 15 months or so, if not the greatest star, has been Thomas Cranmer. We knew that that was a pseudonym because in all his writings on Substack and then his posts on Twitter, he said it was a pseudonym for a lawyer who had worked in both New Zealand and in London. But yesterday, Thomas Cranmer's identity was revealed by Business Desk to be Philip Crump. And Philip Crump is with me now. Hi, Philip. Thanks for joining us here on uh, RCR. Firstly, how do you feel about being outed? Um, yeah, hi, hi, Peter. Um, it's it's a little it's a little unusual, I suppose. Um, I I wasn't um, I wasn't expecting it, and it came at pretty short notice. But um, I, I don't think it changes too much, not for me anyway. No, of course it doesn't. Uh, I suppose knowing that one of your articles was published under your real name in the British version of The Spectator meant that uh, a sharp-eyed person was going to find out sooner or later, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, they were. I mean, I think it was inevitable. And I I did see that when it was was published, um, and that was inadvertent, but I thought at the time, well, look, it's – people will find it. And I suppose it was a little breadcrumb out there for, um, for, for people to find which eventually they did. They did, even though that was published back in April. I just wonder, though, yeah, how do you feel yeah. about the story that was written about you on, on Business Desk yesterday by Daniel Dunkley and, and Patrick Smelly? Did you think it was a bit of a hit job on you, especially the line about the widely held misinterpretation about Timana Otawai statements in the Three Waters legislation? Um. Yeah, look, I mean, I, under, I, I understood their um, desire to do the job. Um, and, I, you know, I, I had a good um, discussion with, with, with Daniel. And Daniel's a, you know, has worked in, um, in the city. He, he knew my, my, my former law firm um, and a lot of the deals that, um, that I'd done. So he was very familiar with, um, with my background and probably – uh, more familiar than um, than most people here, um, which 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 was fine. I the the yeah the the the, the comment on Timana Oty did um, raise an eyebrow, I suppose, um, because look, it, it's obviously a complicated issue, and I didn't um, and and to be clear, this wasn't a um, specific subject of. Um, my discussions with them yesterday, it, it, it wasn't raised. Um, so I was a little surprised that they thought that it was um, noteworthy to put that comment in, particularly after they had, um, the the article was to set up my legal credentials um, and then um, to, um, uh, you know, kind of criticise my analysis without really putting their own analysis forward, I thought um, was a little questionable. Um, but you know, I can address it in more detail in my Substack. I'll, I'll, I'll set it out. I don't think it's a clear. I don't think there's a clear view on it. It, it is very complicated, and I have looked through the cabinet papers. Um, I've spoken to people involved in the negotiations. Um, you know, within um, councils and and government. So I think I have a a fairly good idea. And and my view is, you know, it's an honestly held view of a of a lawyer having read all these all these documents. Um, you know, and I have, I, I am aware of um, um, other views on, on the issue, and I've been kind of happy to engage in, in discussions on that, and and I'm happy to kind of exchange articles on it. Um, 
think I, you know, look, I mean, I, I think I will um, publish a response and set out, you know, my position in, in, in detail on it. Yeah, I've, because, uh, I've already said something about it uh, on this radio show today because I've just looked at Section 141 of the Water Services Entities Act. And, okay, I know it's pretty complicated, but when it comes to to mana O2I statements, the reality is that the, the law says, the section says, that water services entities have to give effect to uh, to mana O2I statements. I would have thought, even as a layman, that give effect to means you must do it. Therefore, your interpretation is spot on. Yeah, I agree with. I I I think the I think the wrinkle on it is that um, you know that section is dealing with Timana OTY statements, but it says that you that you must give effect to Timana OTY, um, and um, th- that's that that's where it's difficult interpreting how, how the. Um, how the act works. Uh, it, it, it is not helped by the definitions, which, you know, refer back to, um, you know, um, the national policy statement, um, which sets out, you know, a definition of Timana OTY. But, you know, I, I, I think if you look at um, particularly statements by um, Nanaya Mahuta um, I, 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 and, and, and the cabinet papers that she, that she issued, it's, it's very clear that the intention is that it is a robust mechanism, um, and that there's got to be a consistency um, in the statements with Timana OTY, I, and and there are no limits, you know, deliberately so. I mean, you know, the government's quite clear on this. They they deliberately did not put any clear boundaries on the scope of it. So you know, it's it's undefined, um, and and at the moment uncertain, quite how broad the scope of this is. But it's clearly very very broad. Um, and you know, so I, look, I mean, I'm, I'm, I will set it out in more, in more detail. Um, you know, I know, I know Business Desk has a different view. Um, but, and, and I have, I have told them previously, look, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've said, if you want to set your position out, um, then, you know, please do so. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have a look at it. And they haven't. And I think that was a slightly disappointing thing yesterday. You know, they, there was an opportunity for them. I was expecting them to publish um, an article on this point, um, you know, with some detailed analysis. Um, but you know, uh, you know that that wasn't forthcoming. I know they've been, you know, they've had some discussions and they've looked at it. Um, and so they used the article yesterday as an opportunity to, you know, I think, you know, downplay um, the effect of these 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 statements. So um, yeah, that 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 was the. I suppose, eye-raising thing about it uh, from my perspective yesterday. All right. Let's go back to the start of the articles that you began publishing. And I think it was 15, 18 months ago, uh, you first came yeah. to to my attention, probably to the attention of many others, with your articles on Substack, which were picked up yeah. uh, by various people on the Mahuta family yeah. contracts with the government. Why did you start writing this? Where did you become aware of these connections of... William Gannon Ormsby and his niece and, and nephew and their deals with uh, with government departments linked to Nanaya Mahuta. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's where that's where it all started um, for me. And I, look, I, I just um, I stumbled across this um, because I came across a a, a cabinet um, um, document which set out 
um, the declared conflicts of interest for government ministers for a particular year, both their personal and their professional conflicts. And a- as a lawyer, you know, we, we deal with these things all the time. And conflicts are, you know, they're not welcome. No, no one likes to deal with a conflict because it usually, if there is one, it means that you can't do what you're, you know, the, what you'd like to do. It usually means for a lawyer missing out on a deal. Um, so they're, yeah, they're frustrating things. So, um, Seeing that paper, I thought, well, that's interesting. I'll I'll I'll, I'll take a look. Um, yeah, scroll down, and and the Mahuta conflict looked. Um, I mean, it was a close personal connection, and and so on the face of it, it looked, you know, slightly punchy. Um, you know, it it it, it could have been fine. Um, um, and I thought, look, I'll I'll you know I'll take a look. I'll just I'll I'll dive into it. Um, and the more I looked, the more um, questions were, you know, were, were raised. And I tried to, you know, there was speculation as to whether this was politically motivated or if I had links to a political party. And, you know, I, I, I don't. And it wasn't a, um, a targeted political attack at all. It was a, it was a, um, it was a lawyer raising questions on it on, on a conflict issue. And, you know, the more I, I. Uh, looked at it. There were just other other questions that that, that arose, and I think, um, you know, although the government tried to ignore it, you, you know, ultimately um, there was enough pressure that they that they needed to um, bounce it into a um, into a public service um, review to take a look at it. And I think out of that, you know, they did accept that there were um, um, deficiencies in the way that some ministries had um, had managed these conflicts. So you did the job, really. That's full-time journalists, supposedly skilled and uh, highly paid investigative journalists should be doing anyway. How come you think you as a lawyer were able to get on the case, but those people, I mean, you have other jobs to do, surely. How come you think you were able to get on that case, but so many others in the media industry missed it? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it was an issue where um, – well, I, I think generally conflicts have been, um, I think, downplayed um, in government, and perhaps they're not um, particularly um, well understood outside of the professions that have to um, that have to deal with them on a regular basis. I, you know, I think the approach, and certainly I, the thing that I found slightly surprising was that there, there seemed to be um, a view that this was almost a tick-the-box exercise. That if you filled in a, on the form and, and declared a conflict, then it's fine. But that's really the starting point. You know, to to identify the conflict is is you know is good, obviously. But, but there needs to be an analysis that flows from that to think, okay, can we manage the conflict? Um, or actually, is the conflict so great that we you know that we shouldn't continue with it? And I think the um, just having done this so much as a lawyer, I, I, I suppose I just got the significance of it, you know, more and, and I suppose quicker than, um, you know, than, than journalists that are across a whole bunch of different things. I know it's a fast moving world that, that you know, journalists live in. Um, it's difficult sometimes to kind of latch onto something and kind of understand the significance of it. Very good. Uh, the Three Waters articles that you wrote on Substack, uh, not so much regarding Timana O2Y statements, but uh, regarding the, the financial models. Uh, which you exposed. You know a lot about this because you've done a lot of corporate finance work in your job in London, and you maintain that the financial structure of the Three Waters entities is is not sound at all and that they are very risky propositions. Uh, Can you just briefly tell us 
why you believe that is the case and do you think that anything has really been done about it? Um, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, the, the the financing was of particular interest to me. Yeah, because it's it's something that I've I've done a, a lot of, and it the, the, it is a particular um, specific form of financing which is being used called called leverage finance, which is typically used by private equity firms um, when they acquire um, uh, portfolio companies. Um, the financing has been used more generally over the last I don't know, ten or so years on infrastructure deals. Um, and it, for, with varying degrees of success. Um, but if you look, for instance, at the UK, and I think the interesting thing from my perspective, again, was that the government has used Scottish Water as a, as a, as a template, and they've consulted quite, um, quite closely with Scottish Water on a no, number of aspects of, of three waters. But Scottish Water or Scotland does not use this form of financing for their water infrastructure. Yeah, their water structure is financed by the Scottish Treasury, very low risk financing. Um, the, 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 the type of form or the form of financing which has been used or proposed by us is a form which is used by the English water utility companies. And you only have to look, anyone can, can just look at the state of um, those water utility companies to see the effect. I mean, Thames Water is the standout example which is teetering um, on the edge of a massive restructuring. It has a, many billions of pounds of debt, um, which it can't manage. And the effect of this, if you have that much debt, it cripples you, and it means that the actual infrastructure upgrade can't be done on time. It means that all the problems with water quality can't be addressed. I mean, it, 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 can, it, it can really cripple um, you know, this type of project. And restructuring these deals is unbelievably complex, and it takes years to do. So, you know, I, I, I think the issue with Three Waters, from my perspective, is that it's got a very complicated management structure. So you have this co-governance at the top, and then you have Timana OTY at the water service entities level. And, and this, this whole structure is novel. And by the government's own admission, you know, um, Minister Mahuta confirmed this um, in, in, in the House, that this was a, this was a novel um, governance structure, but they believe it works. Now, I think you know it's questionable whether it whether it does. I think in a in a practical sense because it's it's so complicated. Um, but on top of that, you are putting a huge amount of debt into the structure, and it means that if there are any problems with management, it's going to be very very difficult to manage that um, that 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 debt. And I think the combination of complicated management and um, a huge amount of debt is um, a, a, a terrible combination. Um, it, it's it's it, it would be inevitable that it would go into some form of um, restructuring over, you know, kind of a ten year period. I you know I would have thought. Um, and I've seen these deals many times before. I've done I've done I've done many of them. I've put them together and I've restructured many of them. And I, one of, one of the things that you know I have um, I have raised questions um, with um, the Three Waters um, team within the Department of um, Internal affairs. One of the things that you know kind of came back to me when I when I pointed out the you know their own their own documents specified that the that the debt is what they describe as having an aggressive um, profile, um, and that's because of the sheer amount of debt that's been put into the structure. And when I kind of questioned this, um, you, you know, the view was that well, um, you, you know, it's very unlikely that this um, structure will go into default. And I, you know, I just think that that's <laughs> that's just a naive view. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and 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 that, and that, and, that, and that is based in part they place a huge amount of reliance on the um, 
on the analysis done by Standard & Poor's. Now, of course, S&P is looking at this at the moment. You know, um, they analyse the, the, you know, the proposal. They give their, their views. But, of course, their views can change as the deal changes. All of these water companies in the UK in the, you know, started with you know, very good um, credit ratings, but they deteriorated over time as things became difficult. So just because S&P give you a tick in the box at the start of the deal doesn't mean that that's going to continue um, for, forever. And you can't place any reliance on that, that oh, you know, we'll never go into default. I mean, there's a, there is a very material risk that you will go into some form of default. Um, you know, again, because of the combination of the, the, the management structure and the, and the debt. Well, by the sounds of things, it's uh, it would be a very good idea if uh, an incoming national act, possibly New Zealand first uh, combination in government, repealed the legislation that has been put in place. We will wait to see what emerges after the 14th of October. Uh, Philip, the Waiperera Trust is another subject that uh, has raised your attention. Uh, already there was some yes. reporting done by Matt Nippet in the yes. uh, in the New Zealand Herald about this, I noticed though that 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 reporting by Matt Nippet stopped all of a sudden once uh, it got to the stage where the Waipareira Trust was supposed to repay money. Uh, sorry, the the Maori Party was supposed to repay money to the Waipareira Trust that uh, John Tamahiri obviously had authorised. But you find this relationship yeah. between the Waipareira Trust, John Tamahiri. Uh, the National Urban Maori Authority, the Tafana or a commissioning agency, are uh, just all a bit too cosy because to say it's interconnected is just stating the bleeding obvious, really, isn't it? I mean, Tamahiri and his uh, his right hand man, what's his name, Lance Norman, are right at the thick of both of yep. them, aren't they? I yeah yeah they are, and 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 there are, there are other there are other individuals that have you know roles across a number of those those entities. I mean, I think the. The criticism of the Waipareira Trust is that it, it is a very, it's got a very complicated um, structure. A number of different entities. Some of them are um, commercial entities. Um, uh, a lot of them are, are charitable entities. Um, and so it's, it's it's very difficult to track through exactly what's happening. Um, but there are a lot of related, you know, what is what is technically called related party transactions, and that's transactions where there's common management or common common um, ownership. Um, and, and where there are related party transactions, you, you've always got to look at those very closely and make sure that they're actually at arm's length and on commercial terms, because the common ownership or the common management can sometimes mean that the terms of those transactions um, may be slightly more beneficial to one party um, than the other. So, you know, related party transactions always or should always get a lot of scrutiny. And in the case of the Waipareira Trust, there is a huge amount of related party transactions. And, and they need to be looked at very, very closely, I think. And I think the, the issue that a lot of people now obviously have been cons uh, 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 you know, kind of raising questions about is that there is just a very close association between the trust um, and the Māori Party. And, and, and working out where you know, one kind of stops and the other begins is, 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 is difficult. Uh, I think to discern. So you know, I think that I think that needs more, more more attention. Were you surprised that what seemed to be fairly robust reporting by Matt Nippet just seemed to stop around about the seventh of August when that money was due to be repaid according to a charity's services order? 
I'm not sure. I, you know, I, 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 I've read, um, I've read Matt's stuff. I mean, it's been, it's been good. And I, you know, I know he's, he, he's followed, you know, the, the, the story for, for a number of years. Um, I'm not sure why he's, you, you know, what the, um, what the issues are or what he is, um, um, you know, what, why, why more hasn't, hasn't been published. I mean, I did reach out to, um, to John um, for comment. John, John um, Tamahiri? On, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did reach out to John. Um, and uh, he did give me a response. He, he told me to jump in the lake, um, <laughs> which was, <laughs> which is fine. I think, I think it's John's standard response. He, I think he also has told Matt to jump in the lake as well. So, you know, that's, um, that's fine. But, you know, I, look, I, I, some, some of these transactions are, are large and, because of because of the interrelated companies, there are a lot of there's shared management, and there are basically large fees being charged for the provision of that management. Um, and they they do look they do look you know kind of um, they do look large. Um, they so look I interesting asked John about it. Yeah, the relationships they look interesting. Look interesting. But the reality I, is I mean, that I, that the Waipere Trust and National Urban Murray Authority are charities, and they are not allowed to get involved in politics. They're not allowed to give money to political parties as yep. they have done to the Maori Party and the Maori Party is supposed to have paid that money back and we're talking half a million dollars, aren't we? Uh, $500,000. So that money should yep. have been paid back by the 7th of August according to an order from the Charity Services uh, Department or organisation and the money has not been paid back. So therefore people have a right to ask questions, don't they? I think so. Yeah, look, you, you know, and I, I, I think I'm going to look at it. I, you know, again, I think there's more to, you know, um, to discuss on it. I, I'm not sure. You know, obviously there'll be, I'm sure, communications between um, the trust and the charities um, services, you know, commission on it. So, um, you know, um, I, I'm not sure about the details as to whether it's been repaid or not. It certainly hasn't been reported as being um, the money's being repaid. Yeah. The other thing that uh, I thought was very relevant, and you're the only one to have exposed this, was that the chair of what the Charity Services Review Committee, like the the next level up to to look at these difficult cases, I think you described them, uh, is a Labour Party candidate for Port Waikato, a lawyer who's working full-time for Waikato Tainui. So... Again, it's all yeah. deeply connected, and again, it just raises suspicions, doesn't it, about what the heck is going on here with what is taxpayer money? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the Charities Commission, they've obviously made some um, some difficult calls with um, with other charities, um, um, you know, and, and in particular where they feel that they've um, strayed into political issues. And I think if they want to be consistent, um you know, there's there's definitely questions about um, you know, the the boundaries between the Waipareira Trust and and the Māori Party, um, and they just I think they need to be clearer. I mean, I think it's obvious to a lot of people that they need to be clearer. All right, uh, your most recent revelations, which actually in the end got a bit of traction, and thankfully they they deserve to, was this money from the government uh, organisation, the government agency ICA, the Energy and Electronic. Uh, Energy and Electricity uh, Conservation Authority, uh, money to TVNZ to the tune, I think, of $300,000 and to stuff for $200,000 for interviews, a package of stories around the 
COP um, conference, the COP climate change conference uh, late last year. I mean, in the end, your revelations were based on questions in the parliament, weren't they? I mean, this was information that was out there in plain sight, but everybody seemed to have missed it. Yeah, that's right. It was it was there. It was there set out um, in a, in a parliamentary question, um, which had been asked, I think, for a slightly different purpose, and that's why I think it hadn't it hadn't got the you know the the, the particular focus that I um, uh, kind of put on it. Um, it was surprising when I saw it. Um, you, you know, I thought, look, this this, this it, on the face of it, it looked unusual. Um, it looked newsworthy, um, and I've got to say, I didn't really. I didn't quite appreciate, from a journalistic perspective, the um, quite the um, how sensitive it was in terms of paid content going into news um, um, news content, um, and that's obviously a, a big issue when you think about it. When you stand back, you think, yeah, I mean, this 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 does obviously um, raise questions as to credibility and impartiality. Um, of news, um, it's uh, yeah. I think it's pretty important, and I think the rules in other countries, in particular in the UK, are more strict um, on this particular point. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, I, I mean, I think I think it's an issue. I think it I think it raises questions about um, you know the difficult environment, commercial environment that media in general in New Zealand is operating in, um, and you know obviously it's a it's a time of disruption um, as a lot of these big organizations try to transition to you know digital and, and raise revenue through different means um, and I think it shows that um, yeah that there's, there's tension um, and difficulty putting in place um, effective paywalls that work with maybe an advertising strategy because both a, you know a paywall and your advertising strategy can be um, um, can work against each other. Um, and I think it means that you know some media are, are are having to use this form of paid content. And I think the you know the public needs to know. Obviously, it needs to be very clearly set out what is paid for and what is not, because some of this stuff involved actual interviews by so-called experts. Uh, and I don't think anyone looking at um, these programs would have thought that you know those interviews were actually paid for slots. Indeed, but this then also comes back to the public interest journalism fund, doesn't it? Which uh, you have talked about and which we all know plenty about in this industry, the 55 million, or in fact, I see in the report, which was published a few days ago, it's over $60 million that in the end uh, has been doled out or is about to be doled out. Um, There in black and white in the conditions to be in receipt of some of this money is the phrase that you have to actively promote the principles of partnership and participation uh, as in the so there is an inherent clash of principles here, isn't there, if you'll excuse the pun, in that uh, people who take the money have to actively promote the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi, which in my book is not journalism at all, that's, that's promotion. Uh, so therefore, we've talked about the Waipareri Trust, we talked about the Mahuta family, we've talked about uh, Three Waters and Timana Otiwai statements. Uh, can you see any connection between the conditions uh, attached to that PIJF money and some of the reporting that subsequently happened and the fact that it was not hard-nosed enough and that you are the one who's exposed a lot of, what, a lot of what's been going on. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously there's been a lot of 
I think a lot of comment um, about the PIJF money and the effect that it that it's had on the media, uh, and there are varying views as to how much how much influence it's had. I think it it probably doesn't work just by itself. It's the combination, I think, of that money plus the amount of advertising revenue and some of this paid content, which is all coming from from government. And I think in in addition to the economic factors. Um, there's also questions as to whether media companies get access, you know, to, for instance, government ministers, et cetera. And, and so there's, there's the, the government, I think, overall, in, in a small country like New Zealand, can have quite a disproportionate and distorting effect on the media. And I think this is what the combination of all of this, you know, these revenue streams and from various different buckets um, kind of has had generally, you know, on, on, the, on the media. And I think there are other issues at play as well. I mean, I think... You, you know the, um, um, you know I think a lot of younger journalists are um, wary about adverse comments that they may get in the comment section on some of their some of their stories. Um, you know I've had discussions with some editors about this where they've you know they've, they've kind of explained this to me. Uh, and, and there's obviously a relationship. The government is a is a big employer of communications people, and there's a there is. You know, I think for a lot of young journalists, it seems to be that a, um, uh, you know, a good career path uh, ends up, um, you know, working, you know, with a, you know, within a, a government communications team, which is which is fine. I mean, you know, often these these sorts of um, industries, there's crossover between, you know, um, one side to the other. I think that that that's fine, but it, it, again, it can have a, I think, a slightly um, distorting effect on. Um, on reporting, so and I think that's one thing that I've tried to, um, I suppose, raise because I'm not um, beholden to, um, I'm not employed by, um, by someone that wants, you know, where I feel that I have to give a certain um, perspective. I'm kind of free to say what I want. So I'm, I'm just, I, I think what I've tried to do is just raise an alternative view on a, on a, on a, on a bunch of things. Well, I think you've done a fantastic job. Uh, Philip, and I congratulate you on it. Uh, you have certainly opened my eyes to so many issues that I would not have known about that so many others would not have known about if you hadn't uh, lifted the lid. A question, is he going to keep on doing this? Have you got the time to do it? Are you still working as a lawyer uh, in New Zealand? Are you going back to London? I mean, so many questions. I'm sorry, but uh, what's your yeah. what's, what's your, your future in, in this uh, line of work, Philip? Well, I think I'll I, I will I will continue to write because like, I I enjoy it. It's it's a and a lot of you know people often say that lawyers are failed writers. Um, you know, if if we could uh, if we were better at writing, we we uh, would be doing that. Um, and so it's 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 nice to be doing something which is slightly more creative than just you know writing contracts, which I've done for for a long long time, and I still do a bit of it. Um, not in New Zealand, um, but in the UK. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll um I'll continue to um I'll continue to write. I you know it's I think it's a, you know it's enjoyable. It's good and there's a good following. I think the readership is great. I I really enjoy the interaction. I think one of the things is you get a you're you're across a, a bunch of different issues. You know they're all quite interesting. You can pick where you want to go. And as I say, you know you come across very interesting people with different perspectives, different experiences. Um, I think it's great. So. Great. Well, I, I paid my 50 bucks to uh, subscribe to your Substack uh, a few months ago. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Great value. When are you going to start up on Substack again? Because I don't think you've you've posted anything there for a month or two, have you? 
Yeah, yeah, I've got to, I'm, uh, it. I'm. It will be. You'll, you'll see. You'll see new new articles very shortly. I've got a. I've got a bunch. A uh, bunch of things that I'm going to. Um, going to push out. So yeah, you'd ex- expect uh, expect to see something in your inbox shortly. <laughs> very good. I, I will. And in the meantime, I'm really enjoying the the stuff you put on on Twitter as well or on X. Uh, I think you've yeah. got some fantastic revelations there. Hey, Philip, uh, absolute Thanks. pleasure talking with you. Best wishes. Thank you for the, the services that you have provided to to journalism in this uh, strange roundabout sort of way. But I guess that is the modern media landscape in many respects, isn't it? You don't need to be working for a mainstream media organisation to be able to get the big punches out there. You've done it in your way and it's been very effective. I congratulate you on it and thank you for it. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Peter Williams from One O'Clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Right now, free speech is under heavy attack in New Zealand, with the government constantly devising new ways to enforce censorship. To revive honest media and support RCR, join our Foundation Membership Club today. To learn more, visit realitycheck.radio slash members.